0: Good morning. There's a lesson in those videos for each one of us, and once again this morning, it's good to have the Ten Commandments brought before us in a, in a way that even a child can understand, and I think sometimes it's good for us as well. It's good to be here this morning, and, and good to see each one of you who have come for worship And uh, for leading us in worship this morning. Thank you for that. It is uh, a great reminder as well, and thank you for for bringing that to our attention, Karen, about who we're worshiping when we assemble here. We're not worshiping the music. We're not worshiping to hear the sound of our own voices or the person next to us. We're worshiping our Heavenly Father, and we're worshiping Jesus for what He's done for us. And so to be reminded, to keep our our thoughts and our, our mind focused on Him is so important because. We as human beings, we have a tendency to get distracted by what's going on around us. And so we must lift our hearts above these earthly things to a Father who is above and unseen. And this takes focus, but it's great to be reminded of that. And so as we come to God's Word, let's again be reminded that this Word is for us today. It's for each one of us, and and I, I believe that God's going to apply it to each one of our situations. So let's bow now and seek the Lord's blessing upon His Word. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word and the lessons we learn from it. Thank you that it is uh, such uh, high truths to attain, and yet somehow you translate these things that even children can understand them. It truly is incredible, Lord, how you work through your word to speak to us of all ages, of all levels of understanding. You speak exactly to where we are and what we need. And so I pray, Father, that once again your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of our hearts through your word. Open our hearts, Lord, to receive it. Help us to lift our minds above the distractions and the things we've carried here with us this morning. We set those aside now, and we want to hear from you. We want to meet with you. So bless your word. I pray that you would speak through it to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we are continuing in part four of series I began some time ago on what does the Bible say about everyday life. Today we are looking at a very familiar passage to many of us from James chapter 3. I've entitled this message, Words, 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 and I'm going to have to use words this morning to talk about words. So bear with me. A lady asked a young man working in the produce department if she could buy a half a head of lettuce. And the young man replied, Half a head? Are you serious? God grows these things in whole heads for a reason, and that's how we sell them. Well, you mean, she persisted, that after all of the years that I've shopped at this grocery store, you won't sell me a half a head of lettuce? Look, the young man said, exasperated, if you like, I'll go talk to the manager. She indicated that would be very much appreciated. So the young man marched to the front of the store to the manager and blurted out, You won't believe this, but there's some lame-brained, idiot of a lady back there who wants to know if she can buy half a head of lettuce. While the manager made no reply, and instead made a quick gesture with his head for the young man to look behind him. Realizing with a sinking feeling in his stomach what must have happened, the young man slowly turned around to see the lady standing directly behind him. Realizing what had happened, the young man slowly began to think of his options. She had heard every word he had just uttered. And, thinking quickly, he concluded his sentence with, And this nice young lady was wondering if she could buy the other half. (laughs) That's pretty good, isn't it? You know, a quick thinker. But the story doesn't end there, in fact. Later on in the day, the manager cornered the young man and said, You know what? That was the finest example of thinking on your feet I've ever seen. Where did you learn that? Well, I grew up in Grand Rapids, the young man replied. And if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you know that it's known for two things. It's great hockey teams, and it's ugly women. At this, the manager's face flushed with anger, and he interrupted, Hey, my wife's from Grand Rapids. And just as quickly, the young man replied, And which hockey team did she play for? Not everyone has quite that quick of a wit. But sometimes, sometimes it's that quick wit and our quick tongue that gets us into as much trouble as it gets us out of. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. That's a pretty heavy statement, isn't it? Let's, Let's hear that again and let that sink in for a moment. The tongue has the power of life and death. Just like the story of the young man, we have a love-hate relationship with our tongues, don't we? Because it's so often our words that get us into trouble, and then we, of course, try to use our words to get us out of trouble, talk our way out of it. We use our words to speak well of one person, and in the next breath we use our same words to speak ill of someone else. But no matter how we use our words, unless you are (laughs) a mute or living in complete isolation, we can't live life without them. Words are literally the currency of everyday life. Words and speech are simply a matter-of-fact course of our lives. You can't escape them. Wherever we go, walking down the street, into the store, with our friends, at the the co-op, in the checkout, you can't go through these things without using words in our daily interactions. And so wherever we go... We have to use our words. Now, if you think I'm overblowing the importance of words to everyday life, I just dare you to take on this challenge, all right? Now, before you agree to it, I want you to hear the challenge first, unless I have any takers to agree to the dare. Anyone, before I throw it out there? No brave souls? Okay. Let me give you the challenge. If you think words aren't that important for everyday life, I dare you, I challenge you to go the rest of this day without speaking another word. Hmm? Any takers? (laughs) Oh, there's one. All right. You're on, Terrence. And Matt's going to watch you. (laughs) All right. We'll see how he does. We'll see if he can make it through the end of the service. (laughs) I'm going to warn you, Terrence. It's a lot harder than you think. While I was attending Bible college... Um, My class Which included Leanne uh, We went to a local Bible camp on one of the weekends for a weekend spiritual retreat Where we heard a number of different teachings and we did a number of different spiritual exercises and prayer times And so on the Sunday afternoon after the morning service We were challenged to spend the entire rest of the day on a retreat of solitude The idea being to spend the time alone fasting from food And fasting from communication, fasting from words for the rest of the day as an exercise so that we could focus solely on God in silent prayer before him. So this was the challenge that we all signed off on, and uh, we headed out into into the day to see how well we would do. Well, let's just say I didn't do so well. I believe we still have a picture somewhere from that afternoon that shows a group of us, (laughs) first mistake, hanging out together... Obviously, talking while eating food. (laughs) So let's just say we failed miserably on all accounts, and of course the whole thing was Leanne's fault. (laughs) Um, I mean, uh, have I mentioned how nice you look today, honey? (laughs) There's that whole words thing again. The tongue—it's a tricky thing. It has the power of life and death. An interesting study was conducted on how many words the average person uses. And it came to the conclusion that the average person will spend 10 years of their life speaking, in communication. The average person will spend 10 years of their life in one-to-one communication, using words. So if you break that down, the study uh, broke it down this way, that if all of the average person's words were put into print the result would be that a single day's worth of words would fill a 50-page book. And in a year's time, the average person's words would fill a 132, uh, pardon me, 132 books of 200 pages each. So if you want to stack up all the books of 200 pages, that's a lot of words that we use in a single year. So thinking of that, of the approximately 132 books' worth of words that you spoke in this past year... How many of those words were words of life? How many of those words were words of death? You see, our words and speech are incredibly powerful, far more powerful than most of us ever realize. With the tongue, a man can praise God, pray, encourage others, preach the word, and even lead the lost to Christ. What a privilege. What an awesome thing that we can do with our words. But with that same tongue and the same words, we can also, that same person, tell lies that could ruin a person's reputation. Break a heart, discourage others, or outright judge and condemn them. So since since each of us will spend an average of 10 years of our life talking, one of the most important things we will ever do in this life is learn how to harness the power of our words, to keep our tongue in check and under control. However, as most of us already know, most of us know full well that this is much easier said than done. And the Bible agrees with this, as we heard earlier in James chapter 3. Let me read for you again verses 7 to 10. I invite you to turn there with me in your Bibles, James chapter 3. Here Paul is using a very interesting metaphor of comparing people to animals. Listen to what he says in verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. What a comparison. Think of some of the animals you have seen tamed in your lifetime. Has anyone here ever seen a tame lion? Have you been to the circus and seen a lion? Yes? Some people have. Has anyone seen a tiger that was, that was under control? Yeah, we got hands right up over there. What else have you seen? Has anyone here ever seen a monkey riding a motorcycle? I have. <laughs> that was incredible. It's incredible to think the things that we can train animals to do. Now, when we think of that, even wild animals, that we can somehow condition and train them, James says, in contrast to even a wild animal... The human being cannot tame the tongue. Wow, what a statement. He goes on to say this. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. <laughs> Do you think he's overstating the case a little bit? He's really, he's really swinging hard on this. Full of deadly poison. Think of it as the, the metaphor of a snake. If you were, has, it, has anyone here ever encountered a poisonous snake in the wild? I'm thankful that I haven't. (laughs) Who here likes snakes? (laughs) Anyone? Who here hates snakes? (laughs) Okay, a few hands are going up. Right? Think of that like a, a massive snake with deadly poison can bite you, and that can be fatal. Paul is saying in the same way, our words, like poison from a snake, we can bite with them, and yes, they can be fatal, full of deadly poison. And then he talks about the duplicity of our tongue. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, just as we did here this morning. We lifted up words of adoration. We proclaimed Jesus' name. We, we sang the goodness of God. And yet, how many of us this week use those same words in that same tongue to speak poorly of someone else? To complain. To say something negative about a situation with maybe your spouse, maybe a child. Maybe a coworker, Maybe about the so-and-so politician. Anyone? Any takers? Chances are, if we go down the list, we're all guilty of in some way, shape, or form using our tongue in a negative way this past week. And here James is pointing out to, here we are. We sing the praises of our Lord and Father. And then he says, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Wow, what a profound statement, made in God's likeness. Every human being who has ever been created has been created with the stamp of the Creator. In the image of God, he created the male and female. And so we must always be mindful, he's pointing out here, that any time we speak negatively of any single person, we are speaking negatively of someone that God created with his image. They are an image-bearer of God. And so here he says in verse 10, Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. And then he goes on to say, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. This shouldn't be. This maybe is our reality that we live in, and because it's so normal, so regular for our everyday life, we justify it. And then we'll even justify it by saying, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. They gossip way more than me. (laughs) You ever done that? You've justified your own gossiping by someone else's level of gossiping, and thereby you were gossiping about the gossip? (laughs) Follow the train of thought along on that one. We've probably all been there, done that. So the question becomes, how can we learn to keep control of our tongue? How can we speak only words of life and not words of death? And is it really worth the effort? Thankfully, the Bible has much, much to say on this subject. Follow along with me as I uh, begin reading in verse 2. We're going to go back a couple of verses. Verse 2, he says, We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. The first thing I'd like to draw for your attention this morning as we think on this subject is this. The mark of a mature Christian is a controlled tongue. The mark of a mature Christian is a controlled tongue. James says that if you can control your tongue, you'll be perfect. If you're into uh, uh, underlining or highlighting things in your Bible, I invite you to underline this word perfect. You'll be perfect. Circle this. Now, as you do that, keep this in mind. The Greek word for perfect, used within this context, does not necessarily mean sinless or incapable of sin. What it is primarily meaning in this context is fully mature. Fully mature. James tells us that to be spiritually mature in a a full sense of the word, we must learn to control our tongue. So if you desire to mature in Christ and in your walk with the Lord, this is an integrally important aspect of your Christian walk, controlling your tongue. Full maturity comes from controlling our tongue. Secondly, we will be held accountable for every word we speak. You see, if having maturity in Christ is not enough motivation for you to really tackle this in your life, think on this, we will be held accountable for every word we speak. The Lord Jesus speaks on this subject in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. He says this, I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. I don't know about you, but that scares me. Every careless word you have spoken, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. How often do we try to downplay a hurtful, thoughtless, or careless thing we just said by saying, Oh, I didn't really mean it like that, or I was just kidding? But Jesus tells us that all of our words, even the ones that we throw out carelessly, are significant and we will have to answer to God for them. And I don't know about you, but I got a lot to account for. And so, as I think back on the things that I have said carelessly or just in jest that should not have been said in the first place, the first thing it causes me to do is to want to confess. Confess those words to the Lord and ask Him to forgive me. And that is the first thing we must do, is acknowledge where we have used our words carelessly, where we've thrown them out there haphazardly, not thinking. Because we will have to give an account for them someday. I believe most of us don't fully realize just how powerful those words truly are to those around us, whether for good, for life, or for bad, for death. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 11 says this, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. I love that picture. It's awesome, isn't it? Who here has been to the, to the mountains and seen one of those like crystal clear fountains coming out of the rocks? Have you seen those? You can picture that. You know, this picture in mind of this crystal clear spring, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Is Is that what your mouth is representing? A fountain of life, crystal clear water pouring out. And then the second half of the proverb has the negative. It says this: But violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Violence. It doesn't say just negativity, it says violence. Like, it's talking about physical altercations. And you know what? The violence in the world around us, so much of it... In fact, in fact, they're even pointing out the vast majority of it comes about because of the use of our words. You say something, someone says something back. They say it back harsher than you said it in the first place, and it accelerates to the point of physical altercations. And what is war? War is the failure of diplomacy. And what is diplomacy? The use of words. It's talking. And so we even see here in this context that violence, violence comes about by how we use our words. Now, of course, we can do violence to one another in, in smaller and in more subtle ways. Most of us aren't coming to blows or fisticuffs on a regular basis by how we use our words. And yet sometimes words can be more, more uh, devastating, more damaging than any right hook you could ever throw. <laughs> I can tell you that from experience. I've been the recipient and the giver of a couple of right hooks and left jabs and body slams, this way or that. And I can tell you those are nothing compared to some of the words that I have given or the words that I have received in the damage that they can cause and having to deal with them. There's a story I want to share with you. A man named Jerry Kramer. He was a great football player of a past generation for the Green Bay Packers on the championship football team's coached under the legendary Vince Lombardi. Later on in his retirement, Jerry recalled this story of his rookie season. He said, One day during the first year I played for Coach Lombardi, he rode me unmercifully. He pointed out how slow I was, how weak I was, how stupid I was, and he convinced me. Word by word, he tore me down. And by the time I dragged myself back into the locker room, I suspected that I was the worst guard in league history. I sat in front of my locker, head down, contemplating quitting that very day when Coach Lombardi came up behind me, mussed up my hair and said, Son, one of these days you're going to be the greatest guard in the league. Suddenly, I was ten feet tall and bulletproof. I would do anything for him. And we went on to win a championship that season. Our words have tremendous power to whittle people down to nothing, or to turn them into giants capable of greatness. Our words are powerful, and we will have to give account for them. Thirdly, our words determine the direction of our lives. James gives us next two illustrations of this fact in verses 3 and 4 of James chapter 3. Going back to the realm of animals, he says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body." Some of you really enjoy riding horses, and you know how this works. And how it doesn't work. (laughs) That's been more of my experience with horses. Some people love them, other people can't stand them. And I think more are in the can't stand them category than love them. But the horse lovers out there, you know how this works. When you have a perfectly trained animal underneath you, it is a great experience to ride in unison with a horse that is almost anticipating your commands. And so they're so gentle, they're already anticipating, eager to obey. What an enjoyable experience when you can ride an animal that is trained like that. And so we can do this with horses, he says. Next he goes to the realm of ships. He says, Look also at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. You know, think of something like the Queen Mary, one of the largest ships ever made. It has three acres of recreational space on board. The anchor weighs more than ten cars. Just the anchor of the Queen Mary weighs more than ten cars, over 10,000 pounds. Yet it is steered by a small rudder that keeps it on course. So, if you're, once again, underlining words in your Bible, go ahead and underline that word, turned. A horse is turned by a small bit. A ship is turned by a small rudder. Your car is turned by your steering wheel. And your life is turned by what? The words you say. You see, your words are the steering wheel of your life. They are the bit. They are the rudder. It is the guidance system. And think about this. If you don't like where your life is at right now or where it's headed... Change what you say. Change the words that come out of your mouth. There's this great story I've shared before. You may recognize it, but I want to share it again because it really hits home the point. There's this story of this this man who joined a monastery where silence was valued. Each new monk was given a probation period of three years for joining. And at the end of each year, each monk was allowed to speak only two words. The rest of the year he had to be completely silent. Terrence, if you think today is going to be tough, try doing a full year. <laughs> so here he's gone a full year, and at the end of the first year, he's allowed to speak his first two words, and he comes before the prior of the, of the monastery, and he says to him, it's time for your two words. What are they? Bed hard. That was it. Bed hard. Well, the second year came and went, and a young monk once again came before the prior. In his second year's two words were this, food, cold. Well, at the end of the third year, again, his time came around for the last two words, and the young monk said, I quit. (laughs) And finally, the the prior said to him, that doesn't surprise me. All you've done is complain the whole time you've been here. (laughs) Wow, jam-packed. Jam-packed words in a couple of short sentences, isn't it? James tells us that the words we speak determine the course and direction of our lives. Whether we live in a way that honors God or in a way that dishonors Him is controlled primarily by our tongue. And this takes us to the negative side of our words. Our tongue can be used as flamethrowers. This is James's next analogy. Verses 5 and 6. The tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set by a little fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members that defiles the whole body, and it sets on fire the course of nature, and it is itself set on fire by hell. What a statement of how devastating... The smallest spark can be to start a forest fire. The smallest word, the smallest bit of juicy gossip can do things that can devastate far beyond our initial words would have on their own. Uh, There's another story I'd like to share with you of this little uh, country church set on a hillside in this uh, English countryside. And here this this church stands alone on the the hillside, and it's one of these idyllic places with the, the old church cemetery next door. And there in this cemetery, there's this drab, gray slate tombstone. They're all old from the centuries of wind and rain. And on this one quaint stone bears an epitaph not easily seen unless you stoop over and look at it very closely. And the faint etchings read, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. <laughs> how would you like to have that on your tombstone? It only takes the smallest spark to ignite an inferno. A carelessly discarded match can destroy an entire forest overnight. A careless word can destroy a life overnight. And I wonder how many people have destroyed their marriages their careers, their friendships, their families, or their reputations, by a careless word. Proverbs 16, verses 27 and 28 says this, A scoundrel plots evil, and on their lips it is like a scorching fire. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. How many of you have ever heard the saying, Loose lips sinks ships? It's an old saying from World War II. The idea of it was that secrecy was important for the safety of the troops because during World War II, naval operations needed to be kept secret. And if a person who had classified information, loose lips, talked too much, then there was danger of putting the sailors at risk. And that is the danger of gossip. So if a conversation starts out with something like, did you hear about what so-and-so did the other day? Did you hear about what so-and-so said the other day? Watch out, because more often than not, you are about to participate in gossip. And be aware that no one ever thinks that they are a gossip themselves, ever. There's never been a person who thought that they were a part of a chain of gossip. We all think it's something everyone else does, but not me. I'm just sharing the truth, (laughs) right? That's what we think when we're saying something. We're not gossiping. We're just sharing the truth. But stop and think about that. What are we doing? The Bible would point out that this is, in fact, gossip. Now, as we consider how our words can be used as flamethrowers, let's use, uh, for a moment, them as introspection on what they say about us as people. Our words display who we really are. My words display who I really am. You see, the problem of our tongue goes clear down to the very nature of our being. It's not just something that just comes out here, it's something that starts in here the very heart. Jesus points this out in Matthew 12, verse 34. He says, How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is down here is going to come out here. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, when we have a problem with our words, it's not actually a problem with our physical tongue. It's a problem with our heart. What is in our heart? We need a new heart. We need a heart where Jesus is sitting on the throne, where he is in charge of the filter of what comes out of our mouths. We need Jesus to be sitting on the throne of our hearts if we want to control our tongues. And so this is the solution for the problem of the words coming out of our mouth in three easy steps. The first is this, get a new heart. You've got to have a new heart. The heart is the heart of the problem. Thankfully, God is in the business of doing heart transplants. Because if you seek God, he can give you a new heart. In Ezekiel, God has given us a promise. Verse 26 of chapter 36, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Think of it this way. You can paint the pump at the top of the well, but that won't make the water any sweeter. Right? Changing the handle is not going to change a thing of what's down in the well. You can rinse out the mouth with soap. You know, little Billy says a bad word and you stick a bar of soap in the mouth. You know, eh, it doesn't actually change the tongue, does it? It may clean out things up here, but the problem is down here. We need a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, but behold, all things have become new. We need a new heart. We need Jesus on the throne of our heart to control what comes up. Because without him, all we're doing is trying to filter something up here that is really rotten down here. Secondly, we need to ask God for his help. You see, we need a supernatural power to control our tongues. We simply can't just force our will to change it on our own. And that's why we need Jesus inside of us, not only to change our heart, but to take up permanent residence, to help us from within. 1 John 4, verse 4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We need Jesus within, we need him within to guard our hearts. The psalmist prays this prayer in Psalm 141. Post a guard at my mouth, O God. <laughs> Think about that. A little soldier standing right here. Post it as a guard at my mouth. Post a guard at my mouth, O God. Set a watch at the door of my lips. You see, we need to begin praying these sorts of prayers. Lord, put a guard at my mouth. Muzzle my mouth if you have to. Let me speak in the proper time. Let me be silent when I need to be silent and grant me the wisdom to know the difference. And this brings us to our third and most practical application. Think before you speak. Engage your mind before you put your mouth into gear. <laughs> James 1.19 puts it this way. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. How many of us have put our, you know, foot in our mouth Who here suffers from hoof and mouth disease? (laughs) 99.9% of the time, you could have avoided that if you'd been swift to listen and slow to speak. This is God's word. He is trying to impart wisdom upon us in how we speak. Think first, and we will have words that honor God. What do our words say about us? What do they say about me? What do they say about you? What do they reveal about our character? If we could play back a tape of every word that we spoke just this past week, would you be pleased to hear played back for you the things you've said in this past week? And more importantly, would God be pleased? A bit and a rudder must be under the control of a strong arm. And James is telling you and me that the only way to get control of our tongue is to allow God to have complete control of the reins. To have God at the steering wheel, at the rudder of our heart and our life. And this will control the words that we speak. And so, today, have you asked God to give you that new heart, that soft heart of flesh? Have you allowed Jesus to sit on that throne, to take control of the words that are coming up? Or are you saying, Jesus, get off the throne, I'm sitting here for now. I'll maybe let you back on Sunday morning while I'm pra- singing your praises, but then back off again, because I've got some more things to say. How are we viewing this relationship with the Lord Jesus? Is he really on the throne? Is he the one who's controlling the words that are coming out so that they are words of life and not words of death? Words that bring healing and hope. Have you asked God to change your heart? Have you invited Jesus in? And if you already have, maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to confess the words that you've said and say, you know what, Lord? Lord, I'm getting off the throne. This is your heart. I'm giving you complete control over my mouth. May the words truly honor you. May they be words of life. And maybe we need to pray a prayer. I'm sorry, Lord, for my words. Forgive me. Change me. Cleanse me. So get a new heart. Ask God for his help. Think before you speak. And you will be headed in the right direction of speaking words of life and not death. Let's pray. Father, we confess before you today that we have spoken words of death. We confess that we have been guilty, Lord, of using our words in ways that we're not honoring to you. We confess, Lord, that in our lives we have been guilty of speaking ill of those who have been created in your image. And so, Father, we just ask that you would forgive us, that you would cleanse us, and that, Father, you would give us a new heart. That, O Lord, you would take out these hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh, Lord, that beat after you. That, Lord, would honor you in everything that we say and do. Help us to remember, Lord, that we are to live as those who will give an account. That, Lord, someday we will stand before you. And so, Father, I pray that we would always walk worthy, of that calling. That, Lord, we would walk by, by faith and not by sight. And that, Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for this task, that it is not too much. Even when we look at our own sin and our failings and falling short, we, we so quickly write ourselves off, and yet you don't. And so, Father, we again, we call upon your grace to cleanse us anew. O oh, Lord, help us to control the words that come out of our mouths. Help us to speak words of encouragement words of healing, words of reconciliation, words of forgiveness. Oh, Father, may we speak words of love and appreciation. May we speak words that would build up and not tear down. Because, Lord, we know that by this, all men will know that we are your disciples by how we love one another. And, Father, we know that this comes about in so many ways by the words that we speak. And so, Father, help us to speak those words that would show love to one another and love towards you build up your church as we learn to speak these words that edify. And so, Father, we thank you that you will grant us the words to speak at the right time. Help us to also be silent when we need to be silent. And that, Father, in all of these things, we would be obedient to you, the Lord of our life, and we give you the throne of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.